Amen. Thank you, Brother Ben. Thank you to our musicians as well for drawing our attention to the Lord with those songs. If you would turn with me today to the book of 2 Kings, 2 Kings. We don't have time to read these two chapters, but I do want to look at some verses here. I want to prepare our hearts for our missions conference. I want us to be prepared for the preaching of God's word. And so this morning, I want to talk about receiving God's truth. 2 Kings chapter 22, and we'll start reading in verse 1. 2 Kings 22 and verse 1. One of the few godly kings of Judah, a man named Josiah. The Bible says in 2 Kings 22, 1, Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign. And he reigned 30 and one years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Jedidah, the daughter of Adiah of Boscath. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, and walked in all the way of David his father, and turned not aside to the right hand or to the left. And it came to pass in the eighteenth year of King Josiah that the king sent Shaphan, the son of Azaliah, the son of Meshulam, the scribe, to the house of the Lord, saying, Go up to Hilkiah the high priest, that he may sum or count the silver which is brought into the house of the Lord, which the keepers of the door have gathered of the people. And let them deliver it into the hand of the doers of the work that have the oversight of the house of the Lord. And let them give it to the doers of the work which is in the house of the Lord. To repair, to repair the breaches or the broken down places of the house or the temple. Unto carpenters and builders and masons, and to buy timber and hewn stone to repair the house. Howbeit there was no reckoning made with them of the money that was delivered into their hand, because they dealt faithfully. And Hilkiah the high priest said unto Shaphan the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan, and he read it. And Shaphan the scribe came to the king and brought the king word again and said, Thy servants have gathered the money that was found in the house and have delivered it into the hand of them that do the work, that have the oversight of the house of the Lord. And Shaphan the scribe showed the king, saying, Hilkiah the priest hath delivered me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. And it came to pass, when the king had heard the words of the book of the law, that he rent his clothes. Let's pray. Father, we humble ourselves before you today. And before your word, we pray that we would have ears to listen and hearts that would be obedient to your voice. We pray for your help as we go through this passage today. In Jesus' name, amen. Some of you may remember these billboards years ago. 
there was a black background and then white lettering on them. And that was all. And they said things like this. Do you have any idea where you're going, God? Will the road you're on get you to my place, God? Let's meet at my house Sunday before the game, God. Hurricane Charlie hit Florida in 2004. Many signs and billboards in the path of that storm were no match for it, and they were blown over and destroyed. But the story is told that one billboard resisted the hurricane's 100 mile per hour winds. The billboard still stands, according to this story, but the advertisement that was there when Hurricane Charlie hit was peeled back to reveal an earlier message. When the sun rose the next morning on Sand Lake Road in Orlando, Florida, the words on the billboard clearly read, We need to talk. God. As background to our passage, the year is roughly 640 B.C. And the kingdom of Judah is reeling. Not from a literal hurricane, but from storms of another sort. You see, King Ammon was just assassinated. A wicked man after only two years on the throne. Some of you remember when President John F. Kennedy was assassinated. You can remember the panic and the unease that gripped the nation, especially in the first few days afterward, when no one really knew what was going on or who had done it. Well, that would have been the case here. It's never a good situation to have your leader assassinated, to have questions about who's in charge. But then his son was installed as king, and he was only eight years old. Now, with a situation like that, it's as if God was telling his people, we need to talk. And something extraordinary happens. This young king, at eight years old, listens to the voice of God. When so many others had ignored the voice of God, when they had put God off to the side or excluded him entirely, this young man decides that God is going to be in his proper place in his life. He's going to be at the center of everything that he does. And my friends, that's where he needs to be in our lives as well. God is the great ruler of this universe. He's not someone or something to be tacked on if we have time for him or if it's convenient. If the Lord Jesus Christ is who he says he is, and he is, he is the Son of God, the Creator and the Redeemer, then he deserves all of us, not just parts of us. Let me ask you today, are you listening to the voice of God? Are you listening to his word? And is it demonstrated in your life? 
you have your outline there before you, I want you to notice number one, restore the worship of God to its rightful place. If we're going to be right with God, He has to be in the place that He deserves. And to do that, we have to remove the idols, letter A. Now this is in verses 1 and 2 of 2 Kings chapter 22, but there's some additional information that is given in a parallel passage. So if you would hold your place there in 2 Kings 22 and turn with me to 2 Chronicles 34. 2 Chronicles 34, where we are given this detail. When Josiah first came to the throne, he was a young man who wanted to follow God wholeheartedly. And it was immediately demonstrated in his life. He knew what he had to do as a king. And so it says in 2 Chronicles 34, verses 3 and following, 2 Chronicles 34 and verse 3, For in the eighth year of his reign, while he was yet young, and then here's a key statement, he began to seek after the God of David his father. So he started reigning when he was eight years old, and now he's in his mid-teens. And he begins to seek the God of David, his father. And in the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem from the high places and the groves. That word grove there referred to an, an Asherah pole that they would set up. All kinds of accoutrements going along with their idolatry. You would have the idols, you would have these ornately carved pillars that went along with them. You would have incense altars. All of these things God's people were involved in. All of these things they had in their land, and yes, even in the very temple of God. But the Bible says that he took these things away, the carved images, the molten images. He got rid of it entirely. Martin J. Selman says this, Seeking, the concept of seeking God in Chronicles, describes the habit of looking to God in every situation. So we don't just go to God in emergencies. We see the little glass box. In case of emergency, break glass. And some of us in our minds have God in that little box. That's the only time we really consult him. What a tragedy that is, if that describes you. But what God wants is all of us, every day, every moment of our lives. When I wake up in the morning, Lord, what do you want me to do? And see the difference that that makes in your day. See the difference that it makes with how you treat other people with how you treat your family, with how you view the things that happen to you in life. It's not just fate. It's not just bad luck. But it's a sovereign, loving God who orders every single event in your life for His glory and for your good. It's also the attitude which God looks for in those who pray. We're not talking about a mechanical prayer life. 
where we go through the motions, but one in which we truly seek the Lord. Let me ask you, do you do that each day? Do you truly seek God? One of the ways that you can find out whether or not you're serious about this is, are you cleansing on a daily basis, removing from your life those things that God is displeased with? Or do you make excuses for them? Do you rationalize your sin away? Well, this is just me. This is, you know, I I can give God these other things, but I've got to have this thing. I've, I've got to hold on to it. It's like some kind of a, some kind of a deadly poison or some kind of a deadly serpent that we hold on to. We know it's harmful to us, but but we don't want to give it up. It gives our sin nature pleasure. We don't want to give certain things to the Lord, but this attitude that Josiah had was where we say, God, you take it all. Take away all those things that are displeasing to you. It means throwing away anything that hinders my relationship with God. Sometimes these things can be legitimate in and of themselves, but maybe they need to be curbed. Maybe they need to be limited, put in their proper place. A good thing, if it's not guarded carefully, it can grow into a monster. It can start to eat up a large part of your life. Does God control your life? Or do other things? Are you trying to pilot your own life? You see, this young man sought the Lord, and it was evident in the fact that he went on a spring cleaning binge, so to speak. Now, he does this at the end of his reign as well. And we see this in 2 Kings chapter 23, uh, verses and following, and there, there's an extensive program of cleansing out all the things that needed to be discarded. And you know, people don't like to talk about this these days, but holiness includes two things. First of all, there are things that you do, and there are things that you don't do. There's a positive, and there's a negative. And we tend to, to focus on just one of those. But really, folks, it's both. If you want to please God, you cannot have things in your life that are displeasing to Him. And there are things that are sinful, clearly sinful, according to His Word. Anger, immorality, backbiting, greed, jealousy, all of these things that we allow into our lives, and sometimes we nurse them and we guard them and we hold on to them. My friends, we have to do both. There are some things that we need to do and there are some things that we need to get rid of. Wouldn't you love to have a machine that cleaned the house once and then it was done? I remember when I was uh, single wasn't too long when I lived out on my own, but uh, I guess that was my philosophy. You know, I remember when I first moved in, boy, I did a great job of cleaning. And uh, I guess I thought that that was going to last me the whole time. 
because I didn't do it a whole lot after that. I, I should have. But boy, wouldn't you love to have a machine that, where you could just clean once and it's done? It doesn't happen that way, does it? And I can tell you this, spiritually, it doesn't happen that way either. Cleansing is continual. It's going to be a battle until Jesus returns. That's when we have the tagline, and they lived happily ever after in eternity. But not until then. It doesn't end until that point. Satan is going to continually assault you. The world and the flesh are going to continually assault you and tempt you with things. You've got to be on guard. A 16-year-old, yeah, you've got to cleanse things out of your life. A 60-year-old, yeah, you've got to cleanse things out of your life. You see, it never ends. Josiah was still doing this at the end of his life, and I think that's telling. That's when you know that you're really serious with God. There are a lot of people who start out well, and then things accumulate. Think of Solomon, for instance, a young man who started out very well. But then when he was older, he departed from God because he allowed the idolatry of his wives to influence him. He even built idolatrous temples to them. Now, these are things that God is not going to put up with. So God is saying to his people, look, I'm not going to accept this false worship. I'm not going to accept these idols. I am going to pronounce judgment. Well, there's the positive side of this, and that is where Josiah returns to the scriptures. And this is the great irony. It happened while they were cleansing the temple. Now, what they found could have been the entire Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, or it could have been just Deuteronomy, but whatever the case... What they should have been reading and studying had been relegated to the dustbin. And now they find it only when they're starting to clean house, when they're starting to clean the temple. Isn't that a tragedy? God's word lost in God's temple. You think that can happen to us today? Absolutely. Here we are, children of God. If you have trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, and I hope you have, you have the Spirit of God living within you. But do you neglect the Word of God? These are God's instructions to us. This is how we seek Him. But in the temple of your heart is the Word of God relegated to the dustbin? It's in the ruins. It's not being consulted. It has no guiding force in your life. You see, Josiah was a good example of the type of king described in Deuteronomy 17. If you'll write these verses down, Deuteronomy 17, verses 18 through 20. God says when a new king comes to the throne, he's to do something, and that is... He is to write out a copy of God's law for himself. Well, there's an important principle there. No one is above the law. 
This preacher is not above God's law. I am accountable to it. I must obey it. No one is exempt from it. And then in Deuteronomy chapter 17 and verse 19, it says, And it shall be with him, and he shall read therein all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God, to keep all the words of this law and these statutes to do them. And then in verse 20, this echoes what we find in 2 Kings chapter 22 and verse 2, that his heart be not lifted up above his brethren, and that he turn not aside from the commandment to the right hand or to the left. Guiding himself according to the truth of God. Well, that's number one, restore the worship of God to its rightful place. Number two, we must recover a proper fear of God. We just read it in the book of Deuteronomy. But we see, first of all, that... A proper fear of God involves heartfelt reverence in verse 11. What did Josiah do when he heard the words of the law? The Bible says in 2 Kings twenty-two eleven that when he heard the words, he rent his clothes. It was a, a heartfelt, genuine gesture of sorrow because he knew that he and his nation were guilty of neglecting the law of God. What an embarrassment that this book would be found in the ruins of the temple. And by the way, God did prophesy judgment. And even good King Josiah could not change that. Someone has said he was a good king come too late. Yes, he was a good and, and, and godly young man, but Judah was already slated for judgment. But one of the things that God said was, I'm going to hold off in your lifetime. You know, it may be the same with us. Maybe there's someone in our lives and God is having mercy upon them because of our seeking the Lord on their behalf. That's why we should pray for our loved ones. God, have mercy upon their souls, those that are lost and without you. Have mercy and suffer long with them. We see this heartfelt reverence, but then let her be genuine repentance. Do you want the blessing of God upon your church? Do you want God to hear your prayer? You know, we expect God to listen to us, but the question is, are we listening to Him? And it says in 2 Kings 20, 19, the Lord said, I'm going to do this judgment, I'm going to carry out this judgment, but I'm going to wait, and I'm going to have mercy upon Judah for a length of time during Josiah's reign because of what Josiah has done. And this is what he says in 2 Kings 22 and verse 19, because thine or your heart was tender, and thou hast humbled thyself before the Lord. You've rent your clothes, you've wept before me. And then the last part of that verse is this. I also have heard thee. When God listens, when he acts from on high, things happen. Good things happen. Some of you may say, you know, it just, it just seems like God is not listening. He's just not doing. Well, let me ask you this question. Are you listening to him? 
In James 4, 8, James says, draw nigh or draw near to God and he will what? Anybody know the rest of the verse? He'll draw nigh to you. If we're not close to God, guess whose fault it is? It's our fault. Are you seeking God? Are you serious about it? Is it something that is heartfelt? We restore the worship of God to its rightful place. We recover a proper fear of God. But then number three, there is rededication. There is a commitment that is involved. Anywhere there is true faith, there is commitment. Faith involves the intellect, definitely. But it's more than that when you talk about biblical faith. Faith is a commitment. You know your wife or your husband, but that doesn't mean you just know them as an acquaintance. You know them in a special way and... You have a commitment to that person, a commitment that you cannot share with anyone else. And friends, spiritually, it's the same way with God. We have a commitment to Him and to His Word. And I say without apology that I am biased in favor of God and in favor of the Bible. That's where my commitment lies. I have given my heart to Him. It happened a long time ago when I was 20 years old, the best thing that I've ever done. It involves sometimes, though, a renewal of that commitment. That's letter A, a renewed commitment to God, verses 1 through 3. This is what the king did as... Uh, If you'll look with me in 23 and verse 3, 2 Kings 23 and verse 3, the Bible says, And the king stood by a pillar. That was the place where the king stood and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all their heart and all their soul to perform the words of this covenant that were written in this book. And all the people stood to the covenant. It's a great thing when leaders get right with God. When fathers start obeying God. Some people have the idea, I'm going to send them to Christian school. I'm going to send them to Sunday school. They'll teach them how to obey God. Listen, Father, that's your job. Mother, that's your job. That's where dedication is seen. That's when you live out in front of your children what a commitment to God really means. You see, it's not something that we just do on Sunday. But it is my life. And so there are things that I'll do and there are things that I won't do. I will abstain from them. Because God has my heart. It's just like a wedding band that would be on your finger, that symbolizes your love to your spouse. My friends, we have a commitment to God, and sometimes we have to be reminded of that. This was God's nation, the nation of Judah. And now in this church age, we are His people, redeemed by the blood of Christ, but we need to be reminded of that. He owns all of us, and we are the temple 
of the Holy Spirit. The temple is not to lie in ruins. The Word of God is not to be left to the side. Robert Cooper Schmidt went on a flying trip with his friend Wesley Sickle. They were flying from Indianapolis to Muncie, Indiana. During the flight, his friend Wesley slumped over and died at the controls. The Cessna 172 single-engine plane began to nosedive. Cooper Schmidt grabbed the controls. He got on the radio and pleaded for help. Nearby were two pilots who heard the call. Mount Comfort was the closest airport, and the two pilots gave Cooper Schmidt a steady stream of instructions of climbing, steering, and the scariest part, landing. The two experienced pilots circled the runway three times before this somewhat frantic and totally inexperienced pilot was ready to attempt the landing. Emergency vehicles were called out and ready for what seemed like an approaching disaster. But that inexperienced pilot, an 81-year-old man, followed those instructions as if his life depended on it. And it did. Our life depends upon following God's instructions. Are you here today without the Lord Jesus Christ? Is he speaking to you at this moment? Is he beckoning you to come to him? You need to listen. Today is the day of salvation. Don't put it off. Friend, it's not just your life here in this world. It's your eternal soul that is on the line. Christian, you have been saved. And if you're trusting Christ as Savior, then you are secure, but your life and testimony is bound up with your Savior. What we do for God depends on our listening to His Word. We must be obedient to Him. We can do nothing without His Word and without His Spirit. Are we listening? Let's pray. Father, thank You so much for Your Holy Word. Thank You for speaking to us. Lord, so many times we are prone to wander and not to listen. Help us to give you our full attention. I pray that it would be heartfelt and sincere, that it would be demonstrated in our lives. And even as we observe your table in just a few moments, help us to reflect upon what our Lord did for us. And then may we be living sacrifices for him. In his name we pray.